All set? I want to begin a series of messages that will deal with that. The unity of the body of Christ, the actual strength that we have, that we don't know. The worst thing in the world is to have something of great value and not know that you possess it. Years ago, I, I saw or read uh, an article about a woman who died and she was in abstract poverty. Uh, but then when they went to her apartment, uh, underneath her sofa, she had several hundred thousand dollars. So it was a fear that she'd be poor that kept her in abstract poverty. And, and I, I share with you in the past, my dad years ago, he was a doorman of a building, very ritzy building. And this elderly lady, she liked him very much. And one day she comes up to him, she says, Victor, could you come upstairs? That was his name, Victor. I'm actually a junior. He said, Victor, would you come upstairs? I want to uh, give you something. It's in my oven. He thought it was maybe a baked cake or something like that. He wasn't in the mood. And he said, yeah, I'll be up there, I'll be up there. So she kept on asking him, can you come upstairs? I have something for you in my oven. So, you know, he, he never went up there. But finally she passed away and, and the police department went up there. They checked the apartment as they normally do. And she had $75,000 in the oven. So my, my, uh, my opinion is that it was a lot more than just a piece of cake. And so he kicks himself, you know, for many years he kicked himself for not, you know, at least finding out what was in the oven. It's, it's a terrible thing to have power and not know that you have it. Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit came upon you or comes upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. The word power there in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's explosive, miraculous power. Dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. So God was saying that when the power of God comes upon you, you'll have dynamite, explosive power for your situations and circumstances. So the power of unity is very important because the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the power was released. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Literally the building shook. Tongues of cloven uh, fire came upon each believer. 3,000 people came to Jesus that very message. Peter got up, and with a boldness, he preached, and man, it was an awesome thing, right? But what was the precursor? What was that which released? What was the catalytic event, or the catalytic thing that released that power in that particular situation? It was not Acts chapter 2. It was the promise of Jesus, but what activated the promise of Jesus was Acts chapter 1. What happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus said, go to the upper room, wait for me. Remain in unity until I send the power. Now the Bible says they were all in one accord. That does not mean that they all looked alike. That does not mean that they were doing exactly the same thing. On the contrary, they were diverse. Diverse people, diverse trades, diverse experiences. Diverse families there, but they were waiting and they were in a spirit of unity in one accord. Psalms 133 says, behold, look at this. Say with me, look at this. When God says, look at something, look at something. When God says, focus on this a moment, focus on it. Because there's a teaching that he wants to share. What happened was, he said, behold how beautiful and how powerful and how wonderful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then verse 3 says, that's where I send life. That's where I command the blessing. Now, if you open up the scriptures to Psalms 133 verse 3, it does not say that I will command the blessing where unity is. 
What it actually says is I've already commanded the blessing to be present wherever unity is. In other words, whenever we come into agreement concerning the purposes of God, God already commanded something. There is a default power, a default anointing that is released every place where this unity exists. Jesus said in his prayer, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. What did Jesus do every day? He'd go and heal, right? We know that, right? He'd preach, he'd teach, right? But what most people don't focus on was every night he would go to the mountain. He would go to the mountain and spend hours with the Father. He was in total 100% unity with the Father and with his purposes. So out of that power, out of that strength, he would go down and then minister to a lost and dying humanity. And what was released? Power, virtue, dunamis, exousia. Exousia means legal, governmental authority. Same thing as a police officer. When the police officer tells you, stop, right here, I'm going to give you a ticket. Does he have authority? Well, what happens if he doesn't feel like he has authority that day? It doesn't make a difference. Feelings have nothing to do with delegated authority. A police has authority whether he feels like it or not, right? So we, we have from the Heavenly Father explosive, miraculous power, but it's also legally delegated authority. So the spirit realm knows it. Thing is, we don't know it. And Psalms 133 says that the power was already commanded only in the place of unity around God's purposes. So when Jesus prays, says, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. You know who heard that? The devil. Everywhere there is an attempt for unity around the purposes of God, the devil will always be present to try to destroy said unity. The reason being is because there's an explosive power... The Bible says that one can chase a thousand, but two could put ten thousand to flight. With that equation, three could set a hundred thousand, and just seven people, seven, say with me, seven. Seven people that decide to put their own personal agenda down and take God's agenda can set one billion demons flying from a region. Oh, you're not listening to me today. There is such an explosive, miraculous, Power that has already been released, that is hovering over every city, that is hovering over every region, and we don't know it. We're not even aware of it. The, the disciples, they were arguing, they were saying, you know, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Jesus shows up, he looks at this scenario, and he goes, hmm, they don't get it. They do not understand. And I'm going to teach them. So he sits them all down, he says, come on, come on disciples, sit down. He takes a towel, wraps it around himself, takes a basin, fills it up with water, and starts washing their feet. Now, that was a problem because, uh, for example, Peter responded with anger. He said, Jesus, you're not supposed to do this. This belongs only to the lowly slave. And in the Orient... And in Palestine, it was and is still practiced that when people come from their journeys, their feet are washed. Why? Because there are no paved roads. So people walk in open sandals and slippers. So in Jerusalem, especially in that time, what was hanging out in the cities, in the urban settings? Lots of people, lots of dirt, lots of dust, lots of animals. Hello, come on somebody. And something about these animals, they just don't respect landscapes they just go when they need to go come on somebody has anybody ever you know been around a horse 
A horse is a horse, of course, of course. I mean, they're going to be a horse no matter what. You could be there dressed with your suit. It's my favorite mane here. It's like, bloom, that's it. They don't care, man. They, they're, just, they're, just, they're just in the moment. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when, when, when we get a little, you know, when we have to go, we start looking for a place, right? Because we're dignified. We have a certain amount of, you know. <laughs> Am I in the same city here? But in Palestine, it was not that way. So when these people would walk, they would walk into stuff. So the, the best thing to do is when you get home, you take your dirty sandals and slippers off, you call for your servant, they wash the feet, and what gets washed off? All the junk, the crud, the smells, the aromas. I, I'm just being practical here. Why do you think Peter got so angry at Jesus? Because Jesus started washing off the crud, the mess, the smell. And he was focusing on this issue because, see, they were into this, you know, I've got to be number one issue. And, and you know, we, we're seeing Jesus as number one, and he's our hero, and he's the one that's going to deliver us from Roman slavery, from Roman, you know, bondage, right? But the bottom line, what they didn't realize is that he was modeling the greatest form of leadership that would ever exist. That very leadership that would deliver the world, and that is servant leadership. And he started washing, because he is the reason why he started washing. While he saw these guys, they were in a room with dirty feet. None of them had washed their feet. None of them dared wash each other's feet, because they were too big and bad to wash each other's feet. So he was the problem. The problem was, is that when you come into a room and you got 12 people with 24 feet that have just trotted all over Jerusalem... You know, you're starting to get a whiff of this thing. The atmosphere is all wrong. If you come in with dirty feet into my house, dirty shoes, I'm going to quickly discern, you know, if you've been around him. Come on, somebody. I'm going to quickly discern if you've been in the wrong place, if you stepped in the wrong stuff, and I'm going to have to bring correction. What's correction? Get out of here and clean those things before you come back. Isn't it true? Every once in a blue moon. I'm serious, it happened, and it has happened. Every once in a blue moon, you come into your house and you go, oh, come on, man, and what's the first thing we do? <laughs> Am I talking truth or not? Yeah. Or sometimes, even worse, even worse, even worse, you get into the car. And then, and then son, you said, you go, <clears throat> wrong atmosphere, <laughs> wrong environment. And what is it that you do? You get out of the car. You have to, because that stuff doesn't go away by itself. Somebody needs to wash it. So Jesus, he went in, he discerned the atmosphere. And a whole group of 12 disciples could not discern that their atmosphere stunk. Because there was no unity in the room. There was no agreement in the room. There was no willingness to die to your agenda. There was no willingness to take up the cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And Jesus needed to teach them the way you're going to release the power that's going to heal the sick. The way you're going to release the power that's going to cleanse the leper. The way you're going to release the power to save those that are in bondage to sin. The way you're going to release the power that's going to bring healing. The way you're going to release power to, to release revelation knowledge is when that spirit of unity releases, asks for the power to come on the scene. Amen? 
So if one person is in unity with the purposes of God, God will release a corresponding anointing over that person's life. When two people are in unity, suddenly there's a drastic, dramatic change in the spirit realm. Hallelujah. But conversely, the same thing happens when we're in unity to destroy each other. In Genesis 11, the Bible says that God was drawn to a scenario. The men of that particular city and nation, they all had one language. And they were building a tower. Sounds good. And they were in unity. Hey, power. It releases power. But God had to get involved because they were, they were attracting power for a negative thing. One chases a thousand. Two chases ten thousand. And the men of the city, let's build a tower. The tower was built like this and it was focusing toward heaven. But in actuality, they wanted to build a name for themselves. For their own legacy. For their own ungodly purposes. So God looked at it and says, these people have just begun this. And now, out of God's own mouth, he says, and now anything that they desire to do will not be withheld from them. Any imagination they have will not be withheld from them. You can read that in Genesis chapter 11. And so what God had to do, He had to break their communication. He had to change their tongues. So suddenly they looked at each other. One guy was speaking French and the other guy was speaking Turkish. And then the other guy was speaking Spanish. And then the other guy was speaking Arabic. And that's where the nations went. They, they, they separated, they went their ways. So the monument to that place is a half-finished tower with the name Babel. Babel is the word confusion. Wherever you release negative unity, you release confusion. See, that's why the body of Christ has got to catch a revelation of this. And I have to control my atmosphere. I have to control my environment. And if I smell the wrong thing, then I have to allow servant leader. I have to allow the servant leader in me to model the right thing. I cannot wait for others. I need to come on the scene. Jesus came on the scene and said, you've got the wrong leadership in mind. You've got the wrong attitude in mind. I need to start modeling something for you. And he started washing their feet. And Peter said, not me. I'm not going to have anything to do. Then you'll have nothing to do in my kingdom. So then what happened? What did he say? Okay, fine. Wash my head too. He said, no, all I have to do is wash your feet. See, it's, it's in your walk that you bring in the junk. So I need to change that walk. And as I change the walk, the aroma around you will start shifting. The environment will start shifting. Can somebody say amen? And what God said, he said, uh, actually he's been speaking all month long to the body of Christ. He said the shifting or, or transition time we have been moving through has been like the shifting of the gears of a car. Whenever you shift from a lower gear to a higher gear, it feels as though you have stopped for a moment because you have the clutch depressed. And you're relying on your momentum to continue to move you forward. And then you release the clutch and you're able to go faster. Here's what happens. When you go up a mountain, if you're on four, you have to go down to two. Because you don't want to put that much pressure on your engine. So when you're going upward, you put it on two and you feel the pressure of the engine and the car. Right? But when you get to the top, now you can put it on three and four and you go fast and it becomes easy. That's what's been happening to the body of Christ. See, little did we know locally that there has been a pressure upon the body of Christ national. Now, I shared with you, I think it was last year or two years ago, that we were in a seven-year war cycle on a global scale. 
Next year will be the seventh year. But people don't listen. So you go into this stuff and you go, why is, why is this so hard for me? What's going on? And, and the first thing we tend to do is give up on God. The ten, first thing we want to do is stop praying. The first, first thing we want to do is get away from God. Big mistake. Big mistake. You've got to come into unity with Almighty God. You and God. And then out of that unity, you serve others. Even though you're going upward. But now God says that you're just about getting to the top now. Now things are going to start getting easier. Another word was released that talked about how God this month, September, October, November, He's releasing a season, almost as it were, of rest over the body of Christ in our region. And I appreciate that because we've been at war for a very long time. And most people don't know it, so they just think they're just being stressed out. But there's a, there's a strong spiritual element to this. And it's interesting because it's, it, it was explained this way. The king in the old days, for you to see him, you have to go through hoops. You have to go through uh, a lot of different departments. And as you're entering the palace, you have to dress a certain way. You have to bring gifts in your hands. And you have to go humbly. And then the soldiers need to question you. And you have to have the proper documentation. And you go step by step, hoop by hoop, until you finally get to the presence of the king. And it is meant to intimidate, by the way. It's not an easy thing, and it's on purpose. You don't get to the presence of the king very easily. And that's what's been happening to us in the spirit. We've been praying. We've been fasting. We've been seeking God. And it just seems like we've had this fight to get there. But guess what? There is almost, as it were, a a, a grace period. One month out of the year. One month out of the year, the king would come out of his palace, go into the countryside in a centralized location in a nice uh, um, huge tent. And then the people of the community would be able to visit the king. No big pomp and pageantry. They would just be able to go and say hello to the king. And the king would receive them. They would ask questions and and they would just appreciate the king. Amen? So as it were, there was one time a year where there was grace over that relationship. And God is saying in this season, there is a grace that's being bestowed over the body of Christ. A refreshing, as it were. So all we need to do is go to the tent. All we need to do is go to the presence of God and just say, Lord, I love you. And I come before you. And you're not going to find the same fight that you were having before. Amen? Because there's a season of favor. Come on, somebody. Let's thank God for that season of favor. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, in John chapter 11, John chapter 11 Verse 43, it says, Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go free. Loose him and let him go free. I love this because he did his part, and then he had his disciples loose him. You see the partnership? God expects us to loose the people. That's why we need to get out into the highways and byways. That's how come we have to get out into the streets. That's how come we have to visit the homes. That's how come we have to open up our homes and, and, you know, be available to loose people and let them go free. When the power of God is released, they experience the resurrection, but they come out bound. They come out gagged. They come out not knowing how to dress. Amen? But we already have the wisdom of God for these situations. In Isaiah 52, verse 2, it says, Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So say to your neighbor, Shake yourself. Arise. Amen. Praise God. That's what God is saying in this day. 
You know, you look at the life of Moses. How many of you appreciate the life of Moses? Isn't that an amazing thing? What an awesome deliverer. Do you know that there was a lady, I'm assuming, that actually weaved a basket that allowed Moses to remain alive? Nobody talks about the weaver. Yeah, Miriam was involved. She took care of her brother. Yeah, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and raised him. But nobody talks about the weaver. Nobody bothers mentioning the person that made the basket. Because what happens if that basket would have sunk? Moses would have ne- the deliverer would have never arrived to his next destination. Hallelujah. And you know, it's interesting because this basket is made with many, um, what do you call them, things? Reeds. And you cannot weave them like that. You first have to sink them in water for a while. Soften them up. Make them supple. And then what happens is then you've got to start weaving them among each other, among their brother weaves. And it's impossible for one weave to save the day. It takes a collective of reeds. And then you let it dry and then it gets its strength again. So the unity of these particular reeds is what causes such a atmosphere, if you will, or an environment or a package or, or a basket that allows that delivering agent to come on the scene. If there is no unity of reeds, if there is no gathering together and creating that pocket or that package carrier, if you will, there can't be any delivering agent. The baby will never make it to the next level. The baby, therefore, will never be born. The baby will never, ever be able to effectuate its future destiny. Now, in this day, unity causes a weaving, as it were, of an atmosphere and an environment that releases and empowers that atmosphere to receive the explosive benefits of God's anointing, which, by the way, was already released. God said, I command it. Say say to your neighbor, I command it. See, God's already commanded the blessing. But the only place where the blessing will be released is in the place where brethren are dwelling together in unity around the purposes of God. In other words, I am willing to put my agenda down so that you'll be blessed. I am willing to carry my cross and obey God. Problem is, most of us, we don't say, Father, your will be done. We say, Father, my will be done. That's a sealer moment. I, 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 that's a think, think, think for a moment moment. <laughs> yeah, because we're always fighting. We're, we're like the disciples. We're always arguing with, your, uh, with each other. We're always bickering. We're always desiring, you know, the, the imposition. But yet, Jesus had to teach them. The servant leadership posture is the one that will release the anointing of God. And now God wants to release that because, thank you... God wants to release that because there is a people. And it's about the people. It's about the world. For God so loved the For God so loved the That he sent his son. And then Jesus prays, Father, let them be one. Because it's only in unity that the power will be released. Upper room, bam, explosive power. 3,000 people came to Jesus. 120 people. Now you know what gets me? How many people did Jesus speak to when he said go up to the upper room? That's right. How many people? 500. How come only 120 showed up? You see, it's not, it's not just about today. 
When God speaks, immediately there's a ministry that takes place. <laughs> it's called the subtraction ministry. Something happens. Minister, I don't know what happens in the people's minds. When God speaks, sometimes people, they go that way. They just, they just don't think it's about them. It is about us. Say to your neighbor, it's about you. God's speaking to you. Amen. The Lord Jesus, he was in perfect unity with the Father. He would, he would say this. He said, I always do what the Father tells me. He was in total agreement with the Father. So because of that, explosive power was released in his lifetime. Amen? Praise God. Let me give you three things that will help us to, to, to cultivate that atmosphere that would allow that power to come in. Number one, we have to start seeing things the way God sees it. Stop seeing things from your eyes and start seeing things from God's eyes and God's eternal perspective. When Jesus showed up to resurrect Lazarus, the first thing that Mary and Martha says, Oh, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, minister, it's interesting because he, or rather they expected Jesus to be able to heal Lazarus, but they didn't expect him to resurrect Lazarus. So as long as Lazarus was alive, they trusted in Jesus' healing anointing. They didn't know he was the resurrection and the life. So he had to hang out in the other place that he was at for four more days to let them see that revelation, that aspect of who he was. He is the resurrection and the life. And even though we die in the natural, we're still alive. We never really die. Amen. There are mansions being made for us as we speak, or they're already done, you know. So the day this body leaves, amen, we already have another body, an eternal body, and we have the presence of God. And we have the mansions, and we, oh man, it's awesome. Praise God. But while he was there alive, he wanted to show them that, that ultimately I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me will never really die. So problem is without a vision, people perish. And we've lost our vision. Many in the body of Christ no longer have God's vision. So we're in a muck and mire. We are right now riddled with so much issues, so many problems, so many uh, um, anguishes, because we don't see God anymore. We don't see His promises anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm being buried in this avalanche of junk. But if you see through His eyes, vision creates a picture of victory and conquest in your spirit. I'm excited to be alive today. As long as God has me here alive, I'm a man of purpose. People need to be touched and saved because I'm still alive. When God calls me home, then my assignment is over. But as long as I'm still alive, I need to touch some people because there's a power that resides in me. Come on, somebody. Say to your neighbor, there's a power that resides in me. A vibrant, miraculous, explosive power. Amen. When you have a vision of God, that just confirms the call of God in you. Because people without vision have no call. Vision, it stirs your faith. Vision stirs your actions. Praise God. I was telling the people in upstate, you need to visit your future. Because if you visit your future, the God-given future, you go into the future for a couple of minutes, you look around, smell that beautiful aroma. That's right. Because you know why the feet are washed, amen? 
smell the aroma, enjoy the moment, see the prosperity that God has you in, see yourself ministering to people, whatever call that is, and then go back to your present and say, be patient, because I just visited the future, and it is awesome. Amen. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And the more, the more that you operate in God's vision, the more it'll unite the right people to you. It'll unite those of like vision. So it's necessary. Vision also supplies new energy in life. How many of you, you know, you, oh, I'm dying here, man. I haven't paid my bills. I'm in bad shape. Oh, suddenly somebody comes up to you, gives you $100,000. What will that do to you emotionally? Hello? Anybody? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Words cannot explain. But wouldn't you just come alive suddenly? Amen? The antithesis of bad emotions. Amen. All right, there you go. Amen. That's a good... Get that on next week's brochure. Next week's quote. That's a good quote, man. But it's amazing. Suddenly energy comes out of nowhere. Oh, it was always there. You were just looking at the wrong thing. Hallelujah. Number two. Say number two. Unity with God and His Word creates divine expectation. Mary and Martha wanted it their way, but then suddenly God gave him, or Jesus gave him His Word. This, your brother shall live again. Then He goes, Lazarus, come forth. Suddenly Lazarus comes forth, and what happens? What happened to the sisters? What do you think happened to Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus? Anybody here? What do you think happened to sis? I'm sure she got happy. I'm sure they both got very happy. And they went, wow, truly Jesus is Messiah. Amen? Praise God. His word is full of expectation. Verses that stir us up to expectation. For example, John 10.10. He came to give life and life in abundance. James 4.2. The reason why we don't ask is, or rather, the reason why we don't have is because we don't ask. Philippians 4.19, he supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory. Elder Jose was talking about the tithe. When we tithe, he says, prove me, actually. God is telling you, I want to bless you so much. I want you to have so, uh, faith so much. I'm telling you, prove me on this. But you know what it says in Hebrews 11.6? It says, it's impossible to please God without faith. So if that's the case, if I don't have expectation that God's going to answer my need, if I don't have strong expectation and faith and trust that He's going to respond to my need, it doesn't please Him. What pleases God? When we trust in His ability as Daddy, Provider. When my children were small, they would come up to me, Daddy, Daddy, can I have this? Can I have that? It would please me that they would come to me. And you're in for it, my brother. Because I'm sure you're going to ask a lot of questions. We were here practicing and worship. And Tony and Belinda's daughter was there. And she was looking. Jasminda was looking at them. They were worshiping. She's a, she's a worshiper. And suddenly she went to Mama. Mama, give me the mic. Give me the mic. And, and, and of course, Mom couldn't give it to him. So she started crying. So Daddy, you know, it's, it's Daddy. It's a Daddy anointing. He goes, he drops his guitar, he goes all the way around here somewhere, and he gets her her own mic. So she's, <laughs> suddenly she was, I mean, her heart was so, she looked at it for a while, 
And then she didn't see a cord, you know? She's, and then she looks at mom's cord. Ah! <laughs> that was so funny. I, you didn't see me, but I was laughing the whole time. I was really enjoying the moment. But it's, ama- <laughs> but it's amazing to me how you were able to catch it. You see, and that's what we do. But Heavenly Father, He loves to provide for us. And so He puts scriptures so that we can know that He loves us and, and that He wants the best for us and He wants to provide for us. Amen? And then the last thing, the last thing, and as I'm getting to it, let me say this to you. When you are not joyful, when you're not joyful, that is proof of your disappointment. When you're not joyful as you serve God, it's proof of your disappointment. I'm not talking about, you know, disappointments that happen in life. I'm talking about in your walk with God. When you lose your joy in your walk, in your trajectory, that means you really are not expecting God to really do something special in your life. We need to check that. Because the Bible says that He exchanged our mourning, our grief, our sadness. He exchanged it with joy. Then He says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we need, Christians need to get back to joy. I mean, wow, I go to church many times, I see grumpy curmudgeons. Grumpy, grapefruit-faced, pickle-faced people in church. I need to see some joy. Are you aware that if you just start laughing in the street, people start laughing with you? They don't even know why. They don't even know why. You're, you're, you're there. <laughs> people don't know. They'll just laugh with you. And you know what happens? And you know what happens? While they're laughing, they don't know what for or what about. Endorphins. What's that? They think you're crazy. They think you're crazy and they're having a great time with it too. Yeah, it's just two things happen. When you laugh, people laugh with you. And when you look up, all you do is look up. Look up in Midtown. That's all. Just look up. You have a whole crowd of people going, I think I see something of it. I mean, just something about people. Amen. Praise God. But joy releases chemicals in your body that bring healing. Isn't it amazing? And all the time, God knew that. And he wrote it in the Old Testament several thousand years ago. And finally, doctors have caught up with it. Startling discovery. Laughter can heal. Amen. Praise God. And the reason why God needs us in that atmosphere is is that's when we produce. When we're grumpy, when we're angry, when we're offended, when we're hurt, we're not producing a thing. We can't. Because the power cannot come through. It can only come through when we're in unity with God, with His purposes, and with each other. Third thing, in order for something dead to come forth, it needs the explosive power of God's Word. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I thank God that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because He would have just said, come forth. All of the dead people there would have come forth. Because that's how much power was there. If He would have said, dead man, come forth, 5,000 dead men would have just shown up. So you have to specify where the anointing was going to. Hallelujah. Today the Lord is saying to us, come forth. Get in agreement with God's word. Say to your neighbor, get in agreement with God's word. See, God's word is about ready to change your life. God's word is ready to release a power. So when we come into agreement with God's word, guess what? Closed doors are going to open. How many of you have closed doors right now? 
Well, praise God, they're about to open. Amen. Situations that stink in the natural. Dead dreams, dead visions, ideas, hopes, ministries, relationships. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Then he said, take away the limits. Take away the things that the devil puts your way. Take away the things that don't let you see. Because he had bandages in his eyes. He had bandages in his, in his breathing. Some of you are so stressed out, you can't breathe right. Some of you can't see, you know, five foot in front of you. You can't see what God sees anymore. But today God is saying, I have released an anointing. I have released the grace factor that is going to allow you to see like you haven't seen in a very long time. Hallelujah. So get ready. Take it, take it, take it in Jesus' name. Come forth salvation. Come forth healing. Come forth restoration. Come forth prosperity. Come forth destiny. Come forth your calling. Come forth lost family, lost children. Come forth lost ministry. Come forth finances. Hallelujah. Amen. Today the Lord says, be loosed. Be loosed from heavy burdens. Be loosed from evil and wrong thinking. Be, be loosed from spirits that bind you and afflict you. Amen. Be loosed, praise God, from iniquities that have bound you for so long. Be loosed from lust and perversions. Be loosed from emotional wounds and hurts. Come on, somebody tell your neighbor, be loosed today. Be loosed from addictions. Be loosed from hopelessness and despair. Come on, somebody tell your neighbor, be loosed today. Be loose from unbelief and doubt. Be loose from fears. Be loose from a poverty spirit. Be loose from guilt and condemnation. Be loose from legalism and release, religious bondage. I say, be loosed. Come on, somebody, praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody. I'm loose. I'm not in bondage anymore. I let that thing go. Can't hinder me anymore. I have a power that's been released. And I'm in unity with the purposes of God. And I say, God, be it unto me, even as you have spoken. Amen. This baby will be birthed. The purposes of God will come to pass. I'm going to make it to the other side. Because somebody loved me enough to pray for me. To come into unity around the purposes of God. And weave a basket that will carry me to the next phase of my life. I thank God that they prayed. I thank God that they trusted God. Because here I am. I'm standing today. The enemy tried to take me out years ago. But he couldn't. Praise God. So I'm here today. Giving him the glory. Giving him the honor. Giving him the praise. Because he's worthy. Come on somebody. Praise him. Hallelujah. 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 He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And that's why I praise Him. That's why I worship Him. As it were, we need to go to the mountain every day. Every day and come into agreement with God. I'm no longer going to come into agreement with my circumstances. Because my circumstances stink. I'm no longer going to try to fight my way to be number one. Because that stinks. I'm going to come into unity around God's purposes. And if I have to serve someone with love, I'm going to do so. Because that's going to release the power. If I have to pray for somebody that's using me, or hating me, or persecuting me, that's going to release power. Hallelujah! Glory to God. I'm going to reject anything that will close down the power. I'm going to reject anything that's going to hinder the power. I'm going to reject anything that's going to get in way of me receiving and flowing with God's power. Because I'm in unity with God's purposes. Hallelujah! Amen! So as we consider this, 
it now becomes a vital thing. Even as Jesus spoke to us about unity, creating that attitude of expectation. When Jesus came in, he had an expectation for his disciples. And when he, when he got the, a whiff of the wrong aroma, he said, no, I've got to change this thing. He took responsibility for making sure that the atmosphere changed when he showed up. So that means we have a room full of people that are environment changers, atmosphere changers. And you show up, you get the wrong whip. He says, okay, I know what to do to change this atmosphere. I'm going to release, I'm going to release, I'm going to release the right atmosphere. I'm going to get rid of that aroma. I'm going to get rid of that which hinders because what needs to happen here is that the power of God, the dunamis of God, the miraculous, explosive power of God needs to be released on this scene and restore the joy of the Lord over the congregation. And as we do that, we'll go out there and be the salt of the earth. Say with me, salt. You know, salt is an amazing thing. Not only can it heal... Not only does it preserve, not only does it irritate. Sometimes you show up, you irritate people because you're salt. Put salt in the wound, you'll know exactly what. But watch this. Salt also produces thirst. So wherever you go, people should get thirsty for God just because you showed up. Because you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. So produce some thirst out there. There are people that need the thirst of God and you are their answer. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do something different today. You're going to remain standing. I'm going to ask for the deacons to please prepare the elements of the Lord's Supper. Because today we need to reassess our unity with God and our unity with each other. The Bible says that many get sick in the body because they don't consider the body. They don't consider the body. They don't realize that whenever we hurt one of each other, or I'm sorry, when we hurt each other, when we hurt someone in the body of Christ, we're creating a very dangerous condition. In the body, we work symbiotically. We work, you know, the, the organs work together, the tendons the blood vessels, the capillaries, we all work together. The, uh, the skeletal system works together symbiotically. But there are times when a part of the body goes awry, it gets sick. And because that part gets sick, it starts affecting the rest of the body. And if that's not put in check, the body dies. It's true. So whenever there is, there are cells, sometimes cells, that look healthy, but they're fake. There are, no, they're actually cells, but they're not functioning according to the unity of the body. So these cells, they become cancerous or tumorous. What they do is they start taking all of the nourishment and they don't give anything back. So it just starts taking everything, taking everything, taking everything, and it gets very big and ugly and lumpy. So the doctor has to come in and cut that thing. That atmosphere has to be cut out. And yet those cells look just like the healthy cells. You can't even tell them apart when you're looking in a microscope. But we can address them when we see their behavior. So my behavior determines whether or not I'm a healthy cell. Come on, somebody. 
My God. And the beauty about it is that we control our actions. We control our decisions. So here's the instruction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it speaks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Hallelujah. I'm looking so forward. I am looking forward to September, October, November of this month. I'm looking forward to the, to the grace of God being released. Amen. It says, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says the body. We are the body. So how we treat each other, we either honor God and His body, or we defile the body. Most of the body doesn't understand that. We're oblivious to what that means. God takes very serious how we treat each other. Actually, it says in the Word, it's impossible for you to love God and hate your brother. See, but it's easy to love you, man. I have no problem loving you. Because we're teammates. Amen. We won some games together, right? Loved it. It's easy to love you. But there's some people in the body I have trouble loving. You, you know what I'm talking about? Some people aren't very lovable. But yet, those very people, we have to model love to them. And we have to love not by emotion. Because that's another aspect. Most of the body, we don't know how to flow in obedience. We only flow in emotion. So if I feel like it, I do it. If I don't, that's it. Gone. Later for you. That is not God. That's selfishness. And that's not part of that servant spirit leadership mentality. And that's where the power is going to be released. When we decide and rededicate our members, our mouths, our minds, our hearts. When we decide to only release the positive unity. The unity that's going to build the body of Christ. Oh, and by the way, sorry I forgot this. The Bible says, and actually Jesus prayed it, when the world sees our unity, then they will see Jesus in our midst. That's the time when they will see the signs, wonders, and miracles. That's the time when they, be, they are attracted. When they see the negative unity, it repels. When they see the God's unity, that attracts. Praise God. Are we ready, ministers? Okay. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read these wonderful verses. Paul, he uh, penned this to the Corinthians. He said, For I receive from the Lord, I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread do we all have the bread? Amen and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said take, eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me
as you take the body, the bread, and you eat, reassess your life. Are you taking your cross? Are you obeying God, following Him daily? Are you allowing servant leadership to flow through your life? Are you modeling the proper atmosphere through your words, your thoughts, your actions? Are you loving your brother the way Jesus loved us? If not today, this is the time to repent. And repent means change your way. Repent means feel sorry for what you did and change your ways. Then it says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from the cup. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin, protects us from the destroyer, grants us the greatest privilege to be children of God, co-laborers and co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, and delivers us from the curse of the law. We thank you for the blood. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. In the same manner, my God, we die to self. In the same manner, we take up the cross and we follow you daily. In the same manner, we take the servant leadership posture and serve one another with love, with joy, with expectation. And we ask that that divine anointing, that anointing that brings life, that anointing that pleases you, Lord God, when this attitude, this atmosphere is alive father let it come forth now let it come forth in the name of the lord jesus christ let your healing virtue flow in everybody here today let your healing anointing restore our joy restore our our health in our inner man and we give you the glory the honor and the praise we magnify your holy name we praise you my lord we worship you my lord we worship your holy name We praise you, my God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Holy Father. Come on, lift up your hands in the presence of God. Thank Him for His goodness. Thank you for the body and the blood. Thank you for the privilege of being a child of God and being part of the family of God. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all just, as we meditate on this, let's listen to this song and and get involved in this song together.